Borders Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Now, uh, before we get into some Canadian news stories, because of course we, we do like to talk about Canada here at Can Queer, I wanted to first of all talk about a story that was in the Seattle Times. Now, I don't always follow the Seattle Times, but uh, this is one that uh, popped up on my radar. Mm-hmm. So according to the Seattle Times, the Seattle Pride has cut Amazon as a sponsor for its annual parade, Ooh. Uh, cite, uh, sorry, citing financial support for lawmakers and organization and uh, legislation that doesn't support the community. Um, essentially, you know, I think Amazon was tied up with, um, you know, some of these anti-trans bills that are gaining traction across the United States, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, the Don't Say Gay law in Florida. California? Florida. Florida. No, yeah. California would never do that. that I was about to say. It's yeah, a it's Florida the, bill. It's, Come on. It's the one. It's, uh, they were each on a coast, and I got them briefly mixed up. <laughs> um, so Amazon has been a sponsor for Seattle Pride in the past, and they offered... $100,000 for this Pride sponsorship, which is a lot more money than they have ever offered Seattle Pride in the past. See, to Seattle Pride, this is a boon. To Amazon, this is a fraction of a penny. This is what they make in a minute. Like, that's... It's really weird because, like, from the perspective of the Pride organization, that that is a big offer, but if you know Amazon and you know like it, that's 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 an insultingly low number from their perspective. Well, it didn't come without any conditions. Oh, here it goes. So here there were strings attached, including Seattle Pride uh, had to rename Seattle Pride to Seattle Pride Parade, presented by Amazon. Oh my God! Okay. Yeah. So one of the organizers said it felt as if Amazon was trying to buy the event and the nonprofit. It is. That's what they're trying to do. That's not as if. That's that's what it is. Yeah. They went on to say it was important for us to really take a hard look at how do these values align with us and went on to say the Pride Parade is for our community to celebrate, to remember Stonewall in 69, to Mm. continue to fight for our rights. And we do not feel it was possible to accept this money um last year seattle pie required all of the corporate sponsors to participate in diversity equity and inclusion survey and evaluation we saw this actually coming out of vancouver which is yeah, pretty they, close to yeah they, they kind of uh spearheaded that whole concept of you know we'll take your money if you pass the following quiz basically i mean this is I, i'm kind of generally very broadly anti uh, multinational corporate sponsor, broadly speaking, like even even the fact that TD kind of sponsors every Pride in Canada, almost every Pride in Canada, uh, and they have exclusionary clauses so that other banks are not allowed to sponsor. I think that whole thing, I, I'm I'm very much not into it. it. It's it's the P word, problematic. Problematic. There we go. <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting. So from uh, 2009 to 2020, where are we now? Two. Over that entire period of time, Amazon had uh, donated about 42,000 over all of those many years. 
Oh my uh, God. What is that? That's uh, 13 years, 14, okay, years, yeah. 14 years. Pride in Seattle believes, you know, Amazon was coming from, from a prob- probably coming from a good place. Probably. Were they though? Because um, here's the thing. This is like, because th- there's been stories. I, actually, I don't even remember. We, we just talked about what we're going to talk about like five minutes ago. And I already can't remember if we're going to talk about Disney. But uh, I, I, these are, are multinational corporations that are in the business of putting money in their shareholders' pockets. They're, they're not non-for-profits. They're not charities. If they are going to do something for you, it's because they want optics or they want something back. That's just, that's mm. just how they function. And that's how they function by law. Like there are, there are agreements that you know, the, the president or the CEO or the, the board of directors signs with the shareholders that they're going to do certain things to their benefit by law. So I don't think it is, it is, we shouldn't rely on these corporations to sort of like fix the community or pay for the community or something. And if they agree to do that, then that's fine. But like, I don't know. I think there, there's such an emphasis on working with companies that quite frankly, don't necessarily care. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm very, very pro small local business. Cause if you have like, you know, uh, auntie Jenny's lesbian muffins, uh, down the street, Auntie Jenny probably cares about the community. Actually, we did have a lesbian muffin place in town that was Auntie something. What were they? That was like ten years ago or something. I can't come- remember. So one of the, you know the thing that jumps out at me is you know when you see um, marathons or sponsored walks or yeah. you know um, small culture festivals mm-hmm. you know brought to you by presented by insert yeah. bank here yeah, um, yeah you know this is not uncommon in the world of event marketing and sponsorships mm-hmm. you know naming rights mm-hmm. for an event go for big money and uh it is a major tool that organizations use and generate revenue yeah exactly yeah um you know, Amazon wanted their logo placed prominently along the parade route. They wanted their logo to be first and larger than other logos. All of this makes sense. That's pretty common for title sponsors. Uh-huh. And uh, they also wanted the opportunity to speak at the parade. What? Um, which, you know, Pride Seattle essentially said, we don't really do speeches at the parade. That's not really a thing that yeah. we do. Um. But I think when you think about, I feel like whoever came up with this idea at Amazon is a straight guy that has only sponsored like marathons and walks and, and, you know, all of these other things. Because in the rest of the world, outside of Pride, title sponsors, bit of this, bit of that, absolutely Mm. standard practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at my conference and if someone will give me a hundred grand, I'll call it anything they like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I will, I will bend over backwards with a hundred grand because it makes the whole thing viable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I can see it, but what is missing the disconnect between here's money, slap our name over everything is the fact that pride and the parade isn't a marathon 
or a sponsored walk mm. or a um you know a, a festival for folk music it's it mm. isn't those things it's about reclaiming our ability to walk down the street and not having the snot beaten out of us mm. you know it's about hundreds of years of gay folks being persecuted and thrown off the back of hills and things you know it's um, being targeted in 50 pieces of legislation across the United States. Yeah. You know, that is why we march and, and there's a celebration of what we've achieved, but there is still that edge of, of defiance that exists. Um, that it would be so like, important. it'd be like Guy Fox Day, colon, brought to you by Macintosh. Seattle Pride politely declined their $100,000 uh, organization um and uh for for a number of reasons also namely that uh you know the naming rights that was really what it is now sticking to the topic of pride organizations the 44th run of vancouver pride so quite close to seattle uh, wow. will be running from july 22nd with the parade falling on august the 1st and the reason why I bring this up is because Pride Vancouver is yet again, uh, like some of the other prides across the country, um, going to be in person for the first time in quite a while. Mm -hmm. So yeah, their theme is together again. Okay. Oh, my God, Pride themes are like Hallmark cards. Yeah, well, they are. They are vague. I will say sappy. this: corny as it is. It's actually very appropriate to the times. There, there's so many times you see a, a pride theme and you're like, first of all, what does it even mean? Uh, and secondly, what does it have to do with anything that's been happening in the community or the news or the country or the world? Like, it's just, I don't know. Vague, so the, vague, vague themes like like blue and green. I actually kind of like that even better because it's just like, that's just a, a costume idea. And then that's fine. And it's just that year, everything's blue and green. And because I think Toronto Pride did that once, they, their, their theme for one year was just a color palette. And uh, that was whatever, made a good party. And that's, uh, I think that's, that was a, one of the party that must have been mid 2000s, because that's when Toronto Pride was just a party. Yeah. Now, speaking of Toronto Pride, uh, the CBC has some uh, coverage of the fact that they have apologized Ooh. after a review found it wasn't transparent with 1.8 million in grants. That's according to the CBC headline. They were not transparent uh -huh. about the grants. Um, Sherwin Modest, the current executive director, says, I cannot apologize enough on behalf of the organization. So this is the ongoing saga where Toronto Pride uh, solicited about 1.8 million in grants from the federal government. And uh, a recent review by KPMG revealed that it is unclear if they actually achieved anything in any of those grants. Mm -hmm. And uh, our own investigation with uh, Dr. Tom Hooper revealed that uh, the grant themselves, the applications include multiple fraudulent letters of support from school boards through to indigenous communities. So we'll keep an eye on it um, and uh, follow the story as it evolves. But for now, we are jumping to our first track. This is Jen Newcomb's uh, track with five-year plan and we shall be back just after this. 
Welcome back to Cancrea, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. Now, uh, one of the things that permeates uh, Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, is cultural elements that have been lifted from the New York ball scene. Um, so if anyone you know in the LGBT space is familiar with Paris is Burning, that's a really good sort of period documentary about, uh, about the New York ball scene. Um, and if you're not... Yeah, uh, go ahead. Add some more details, Sebastian. Madonna's Vogue. Oh, yeah. That's just like a Tom Blanche thievery. Of- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you say thievery, but uh, I think she was exposed to that by her backup dancers. Like, it, was, uh, it wasn't just, you know, she wasn't just a tourist. Not at that time, anyway, that she, she actually was moderately involved in the scene. 
she wasn't completely naive, but uh, that style of dancing, just voguing in general, and the the some of the stuff from the music video because they toned it down for the public when they recorded that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so the the world is not completely and totally foreign to this little subculture. Yeah, um, it is it is distinct to uh, particularly trans folks who are African American, and um, you know gay African Americans in particular. There are um, obviously straight people involved mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's not uh, it's not as widespread <laughs> uh, some folks may have seen Legendary uh, which is the television series that was on HBO Max and uh, folks in Canada would have seen it through Crave so that's okay. the Bell product mm-hmm. um, and that actually you know did a pretty good job of explaining all of the different things like Walking Face uh, voguing, the duck mm-hmm. walks, all of these distinct terms that are unique to, to ballroom culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we see a lot of that permeating into RuPaul's Drag Race because, of course, RuPaul grew up with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really bizarre. Like, I find it culturally jarring sometimes to watch, like, RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this Irish twink that's five foot two is, like, duck walking and voguing. And I'm thinking, what was your exposure to the ballroom scene in, in Cork, Ireland? You know what I mean? Like, there is... Well, there you is, say uh, that, but it's a dance style. So uh, things like... um, um, So uh, breakdancing uh, basically started off in L.A. and New York uh, sort of separately. Um, and uh, it was kind of brought together like modern uh, uh, breakdancing kind of exists because the poppers who are in, I think it was California and the lockers who are in New York, uh, Tony Basil of Hey Mickey, You're So Fine fame. Um, she's also actually, by the way, a, a multiple award-winning uh, dance choreographer. But anyway, she introduced the poppers to the lockers and a lot of the non-stunt side of breakdancing was born out of that and it kind of got exported so france has a huge breakdancing scene the netherlands has a huge breakdancing scene there's an annual breakdancing international competition which you better bet i watch and uh (laughs) every year uh japan wins the team competition although one year korea won the team competition a major upset so if it's just a dance style like the internet exists you can learn how to do it by watching videos so the fact that it's been exported, it, it's to some degree, you could say it's cultural appropriation because it's not really tied to sort of the, the uh, New York to Chicago corridor. But on the other hand, it's if you're not from that area to you, it's just a dance move. It's, it's a dance style. It's like learning shuffle or learning disco or, you know, it, it's a dance style that's more associated with the music than it is associated with a history or a culture. Well, I think what's interesting about ballroom is its intrinsic connections to the culture itself. Oh, yeah. So, you know, walking face is not necessarily about, you know, who's got the most beautiful face, although that is clearly a a big part of it. Mm -hmm. It's about exuding confidence. It's Mm -hmm. about owning yourself and owning your own identity. Mm -hmm. And in a world that's trying to, you know, smash you into the ground, if you are a... Um, you know, you look different or you're, you're trans and, uh, you know, in particular, you know, for folks who have been very much oppressed, that walkway where it's all about 
owning your own body and mm -hmm. uh, exuding confidence. You know, there's a lot of political meaning there. Mm -hmm. You know, the body is political and it's especially true in some of these categories. Mm -hmm. um, and also in ballroom, people working houses. And historically, you know, in, in the ballroom in sort of Chicago and New York, these houses were often... Uh, where the mothers of the house would take kids in off the street. Yep. You know, young trans folks who had literally nowhere to go were brought in and, and, and shown a sense of community, shown a way to be confident in themselves and their own bodies. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it is so hand in glove. To and, and to, to clarify, because you're using a lot of these terms. So when we're saying ballroom, we're not talking about tango or cha-cha. We're talking no. about... Yeah, so ballroom scene is a specific subculture. And then when you say houses, that would be like saying like teams. Like teams, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, the, or the team leader is the mother of the house. Yeah, yeah. but another way of putting it would be a stables. You got like stables of boxers and stables of MMA fighters. Like they kind of loosely go together and sometimes sometimes they stage it. Sometimes it's, it's a natural upset. Somebody will leave one house and go to another house, which is the same as like if a boxer leaves one stable and goes into another stable and everyone goes, Ooh. And -hmm. sometimes because it's ballroom and it's, it's kind of a, an interesting blend of drama and reality. Sometimes they're doing it for plot. And sometimes they're doing it because someone's genuinely upset with their house mother. So it's kind of an interesting little drama like pro wrestling. Yep. Well, I would recommend everyone check out Paris is Burning, but the reason why I have brought it up is because there is a new Canadian ballroom competition that okay. is at the fore. And how the CBC has approached this during the world of the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, I think is quite interesting. Okay. So the, uh, the Canadian ballroom extravaganza is that what they're calling it's, it? Yeah, it's called the it's CBX, the Canadian Ballroom Extravaganza. All right. Is a competition concept. Um, essentially, they have the teams have been given uh, let me see how many categories that they have to they have to. So it's uh, how many how many, they've got to do face, <laughs> okay, runway, okay, bizarre. Vogue mm -hmm. and Sex Siren. Those are the, the category themes. Right? Isn't there a team one that they sometimes do? I think that's sometimes, more of a yeah. I think that's more of a Chicago thing. But the way it works is that in the five categories, two teams will battle it out for the public vote. Okay. And what they're doing is they're making videos to demonstrate how that team is approaching that category. So instead of being like a reality TV show that stretches out over like five months, yeah, um, they have worked with uh, production companies to create short videos that is their their representation of face or their representation of bizarre, and you see video one and video two, two, and then you get a vote on which one you think is the best face or the best bizarre or whatever. Um, this sounds this sounds really, alarmingly like Eurovision. It it is ish. Uh, you can go to the CBC Arts Projects uh, website or just look up Canadian Ballroom Extravaganza. It is worth noting that the voting deadline is the thirty first. So okay. at time of recording, it's not the thirty first. Oh, uh, if you're listening to us being broadcast, it may be. 
yes the 31st so we may have missed the boat a little bit on being able to vote on your favorite ones the 31st of march to be clear exactly yeah (laughs) but even if it's too late go and check them out because uh they're based in montreal and in toronto and i think it is a pretty neat way of demonstrating the art form in a way that isn't that that's very sort of COVID friendly, you know, mm-hmm. these are short videos. It takes you five minutes. You can look at them from the comfort of your own sweatpants at home and uh-huh. uh, still get a sense of the, the, the culture. Um, I will certainly be taking a look myself a little later and seeing which ones I prefer. Hmm. And I've just sent you the link there, Sebastian. So you can okay. also uh, peruse at your own leisure. All right. Now, last time we talked about the LGBTQ2 plus monument Mm -hmm. um, was a few weeks ago, I want to say. And it was uh, we were looking at five different designs. That was like back in January or something. It was more than a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, yeah, multiple designs. Yeah, I'm trying to find uh, the actual press release. Okay, here we go. And we each had our favorites that we didn't want to say on air because we didn't want to taint anything. Yep, and it was a public vote. So yep. um, the just very briefly for the community here, uh, the LGBT monument was to acknowledge uh, LGBTQ people in Canada who have been persecuted, abused, dismissed, and marginalized because of who they are and how they identify. In particular... It is to acknowledge the discrimination experienced by LGBTQ2 plus communities mm-hmm. and the abuse perpetrated by the Canadian state, i.e. the government, mm-hmm. including during the LGBT purge. Those mm-hmm. who aren't familiar, the LGBT purge was a concerted effort by the federal government to uh, remove anyone from positions of authority in policing, the military, uh, and defense uh, mm-hmm. who they suspected of being uh, homosexual. And it's it's particular branches of policing as well, because uh, you and I it have was the met, RCMP in particular. Yeah, because yeah. we've met dozens of officers here in Ottawa who got after uh, both the government, the military and the RCMP fired a whole bunch of people. Uh, Ottawa, especially, but not uniquely Ottawa, basically said, oh, they look like good people. We'll take them. So we actually we know uh, quite a few gay and lesbian, especially gay and lesbian officers here in Ottawa who lost their jobs in the purge and, and they got scooped up elsewhere. So it's kind of a, you know, it's not all across the country. Like you don't probably have something in your local mayor's office who got fired for being gay in the 90s. Possibly, but it I wasn't mean, part of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, it's worth if they did, knowing, it's unrelated. It's worth noting that not everyone survived this. Yes. So there are many, many people who gave their lives, mm. you know, a good, good portion of their their, their prime mm. to helping and serving this country mm-hmm. uh, in the armed forces, uh, both abroad and domestically, mm-hmm. um, who were told one day, pack your bags, you're a lesbian, we don't want you here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the emotional impact of the state turning their backs on people who have been actively serving in the mm. military um, led to a degree of suicide ideation. And we did oh, lose, yeah. we did lose some folks 
from from that experience. And uh, yes, and that everyone survived this particular purge. And there were people who basically their lives kind of metaphorically ended. You had like uh, veterans who lost their access to veteran medical care, which depending on the nature of your military injuries can be either deadly or just life crippling. Uh, and you had people who lost their pensions and yeah. all sorts of things. So just and, the- and being abruptly removed from your job for a security reason mm. makes getting any new job extraordinarily difficult. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was a challenge. So they are building a monument. It comes out of the class action lawsuit against the government mm-hmm. by these folks who suffered through all of this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things the government has to pay out for is a monument, which will be taking place in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Down by the I, river. Down by the river. I actually really liked Team on Common Ground. Now, okay. this one was like the two walls on either side. Is it the like, forest? With like the foresty trees up the middle. Because I like the sense of it being hemmed in. Yeah. I, I feel it created like a cozy environment. You and I had a, an off mic discussion about this and it was off mic partly because we didn't want to teach anything. But like when I looked at it, all I could think is uh, teenagers are going to sell weed there one day because it's it, it's fairly publicly accessible, but it's walled off from the road. And I remember thinking like, "Ooh, that's beautiful. Uh, but, you know, a place like that needs to be like in the middle of Marseille or something, you know, like a park within a park kind of a situation. Yeah. So before we talk about the one that did get selected and, yeah. and win the bid, which one was your favorite spectrum? I uh, There was two that are on the fence about, but the one that I remember more clearly was there was one that was kind of like an amphitheater. And there was one that was really just more like a wide open park with a lot of uh, walking space around it. I don't remember their names. <laughs> yeah, well, I've just sent you the link to them. I think you're referring to the team mass design. I also like this amphitheater because I think it creates that sort of visual impact of having the waterfall you have to walk through and mm. sort of entering into the amphitheater. I feel like as a usable public space, it would be very good. Um, team Durling was the other one that I liked, the, the, the weird angled donut. Yeah, yeah, I was not as fussed about that one. Um, anyway, the winning bid was Team Refford. Refford? Refford? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are based out of, I want to say, Winnipeg. Okay. And there is, uh, it is also a large amphitheater again with this one. There is a walking part where mm-hmm. along the wall that runs along the walk, it speaks about why there's the purge and what the monument mm-hmm. stands for. And it sort of uh, centers inside this column that has, from the imagery, it looks like the negative space of a disco ball. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? It's like. Kind of, yeah. Like if someone pressed bubble wrap onto something and then stuck disco ball tiles on it, uh, it, it's giving me that vibe. It's very hard to explain visually what it looks like. yeah 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 no it, it is kind of interesting the the zoomed out viewer it shows the whole thing with like the big ramp swooping around it all i can think is that it looks like a minecraft build um but it, it's that's actually kind of a compliment because it, it's built with creative creativity first yeah um so yeah. i'll talk about how uh they've defined it themselves they say Our design embodies the strength, activism, and hope of the LGBT community 
and is a lasting testimony to the courage and humanity of those who were harmed by the purge, homophobic and transphobic laws and norms, and Canada's colonial history. Mm -hmm. A thunderhead expands within a huge column, creating an imprint of a cloud clad in mirrored tile. So, I mean, I wasn't that far off with my inverted negative space disco ball description. Kind um, of, yeah. I mean, they go on to say a gleaming space that becomes the monument. It rises up as a community has risen up to say, we demand change. Mm. A stage extends from the monument's base for protests and performances, and its interior can host intimate events. Uh, it would be in the Vaudan Park. Thunderhead can be approached from a path that traces the history of LGBTQ Canadians mm -hmm. or from a healing circle, which is ringed by stones, handpicked by two spirit elders, and it will be surrounded by native plants, including a medicinal garden and orchard. Uh, it is a space for expressions of grief, healing, and celebration. I do like that when you're inside the 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 sparkly column mm. you know you can maybe fit 10 15 people in there and as a 10 15 people venue that would be really cool i think that would be a pretty cool intimate venue and the amphitheater can probably fit about 100 people just off of that mostly though when i look at it all i can think is lots of trees and bushes i like trees and bushes in a park yeah. I preferred the intimacy of the walled-in tree garden, but we don't always get what we want, uh, despite my efforts to vote. <laughs> uh -huh. it, uh, it was insufficient. All right, we are jumping to our next track. This is Phasers by Dirty and the Perks, and we will be back just after this. Strong able arms, cold deadly guns, said to stun so i'm gonna keep these phasers on kill that bullwhip smile could crack the throne but you're too wild to rule alone so i'm gonna keep these phasers on kill bang bang shot him up done no good Shot that devil right between his sapphire eyes. I came back the next day, told me I'd get one more try. I looked 15 angels for I got what I didn't need. Holy sapphire lasers locked on kill to do the deed. Shit, who's laughing now? I think it's me. Keep tossing back. Like double barreled lemonade. Oh, I'm gonna keep these phasers on kill. These crimes of passion aren't the same. They lack control, but not the pain. So I'm gonna keep these phasers on kill. Bang, bang, shot him up, done no good Bang, I shot that devil Right between his sapphire eyes He came back the next day Told me I'd get 
Who's laughing now? It must be me. Hello and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, we don't often talk about the sports. Okay, yes. When, when people are sporting and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, but one of the things we did talk about is Luke Prokop, <laughs> who I believe was at the time the first openly gay, actively employed mm-hmm. Um, member of, I want to say the NHL, although I think he may be in the CHL at this point. Yeah, I think he was uh, in the Farm Boy League, not in the, uh, the not, it wouldn't be the Pro League, that's, that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So the Edmonton Oil Kings or the Oilers um, mm-hmm. recently uh, uh, what am I talking about? Yeah, they had a Pride <laughs> Night. Sorry, I completely completely went brain fart on what I was saying. Uh Uh, The Edmonton Oilers had a Pride Night and they were able to actually celebrate their Pride Night with an openly gay player, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, you would think would be so common and and normal and average that if you're having a a Pride Night, Mm -hmm. that at least somebody there is gay. Well, I think it's a real demonstration of how bad things are. But it's just the, the fact one. that there is someone gay yeah. is what's what noteworthy. Um, you know, if uh, if Luke gets drafted into the NHL, he will be the first openly gay player in the league history. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is uh, great to see him there. They were able to raise money in a 50-50 draw for the McEwen University Center for sexual and gender diversity mm-hmm. um so yeah it was a great little effort by them to kind of reach out to the community and um nice to see luke Prokop, who um had come out uh, take a center stage mm-hmm. so that's pretty exciting stuff well i mean there's a lot to be said for the event organizers who actively supported him and his team who actively supported him and and that's that's because that's the big thing there there have been plenty of uh, gay hockey players in the past, just none who came out while they were active, and a lot of that does come down to the supporting team. So this is this is just a, as much a story about the changing culture as it is about this event or this one guy. So I'm going to take you on a a bit of a journey here. Uh huh. A okay. magical one. Um, a, or a, a distinctly non magical. In fact, oh. a slightly murdery journey. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Different vibe here, Seb. Different vibe. Okay. Uh, Got very it. serious vibe. So um, last year, a bisexual doctor by the name of Gary Jenkins was brutally beaten, robbed, and then murdered oh. um, outside Cardiff City Center. Uh, this was a blatant homophobic attack. Okay. And uh, for the last little while, Cardiff police have been trying to rebuild their relationship with the community to try and rekindle that trust mm-hmm. between the community and uh, policing. So they issued a statement saying that they are a kind of city center. They're trying to promote the work of their officers. They had a, a pride branded vehicle. A lot of police uh, stations, um, police 
services have a rainbow wrapped vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is this concerted effort to try and reconnect the community to the police. Well, shortly after that, J.K. Rowling tweeted, "Okay, virtue signaling, like virtue signaling, but for people who aren't really asked. And uh, yeah, essentially she critiqued the South Wales police um, who had said, look, supporting our communities, being on the ground is not mm. virtue signaling. Yeah. Um, and they're not making any kind of apologies for trying to rebuild a relationship with the community where someone was brutally murdered. Yeah. Um, you know, but JK Rowling is like, I mean, that seems a bit virtue signally to me. I, I can see there are circumstances where that might be a valid critique. Uh, not in this case, but I mean, in the sense of uh, the number of times we've seen, um, you know, governments or police forces or whatever, basically saying, we need to make a better effort. And then you follow up on them and you see that that was it. The, the announcement that they need to make a better effort was the better effort. Uh, but the moment you get boots on the ground, it's not virtue signaling anymore. Because virtue signaling is, it's about the theater of looking a certain way, but yeah. the moment you start actually like going out of your way, making plans, setting aside a budget, setting aside time, setting aside uh, uh, man hours, setting aside yeah. standing a, there and shaking hands, you know, yeah, and, exactly. and building relationships. That's not that's not virtue signaling anymore because now you're not signaling; you're just doing. So this is this is the the journey I'm taking you on. Okay, so that was something that you know J.K. Rowling tweeted last week completely tone death to the gay community. But I will say there are a lot of circumstances where she could have been right. Just I mean, not but there this are, one. <laughs> but there is a massive track record where J.K. Rowling is tweeting and saying things about particularly trans folks, mm. but the queer community as a whole, which is completely tone deaf. I mean, mm. what was it last month? She was speaking on behalf of lesbians. Uh, which went down like a lead balloon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bring this up because Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. the man who is currently responsible for a genocide in the Ukraine, um, he went on a bit of a tirade last week where he said that the West is trying to cancel Russia. Okay. In, in sort of the cancel culture vibes. And uh, he said the West has cancelled J.K. Rowling uh, for, um, what do you say, they were, uh, because she didn't satisfy the demands of gender rights. Okay. Um, okay. So just like how we tried to cancel J.K. Rowling, we're now trying to cancel Vladimir Putin. Now, I think the unsubscribing, I said, un- yeah. unsubscribing from somebody's Twitter account is very different from refusing to buy and sell grain like they're very different it's not the same it's kind of on a different scale you know if if people decided that they were never ever ever going to let him uh be interviewed on their news program again if they decided to actively discourage people from hiring him at their jobs like then he would maybe have a point but this is kind of a it's very it's on a very different level you know, it's there's a scale difference here. Sort of like, you know, firing one person for uh, uh, stealing something from work versus firing 20,000 people because one of your investors decided you're better off 
setting up your factory in Mexico. Like there are a very different scale to the point where it's, it's not the same thing anymore. It's, I don't know, it's a really weird false equivalence. Well, that's the point I'm trying to make here is, you know, JK Rowling is consistently tone deaf to the gay mm-hmm. community. And, you know, and as a result is being not say cancelled, but sort of, you know, I imagine that if I saw her in the street, I would cross the road and go on the other side. You know, it's be avoided. It's maybe a, a better definition. But I JK, don't even know what she looks like. I'm not going to lie. J.K. Rowling <laughs> has now tweeted back at Vladimir Putin and essentially said, look, you know, there is a, a time and a place for a critique about how the West deals with cultural, you know, things, cancel culture. Mm. Um, but that's not really the place of somebody who's launching missiles and yeah. blowing people up. You know, that you are not in the right place to be able to, to say that. And to speak on that one, I wanted to talk about the St. Petersburg organization coming out mm. uh, that has now been declared, uh, you know, a, a radical entity. Uh, you know, a, a, a foreign entity by the Russian state, which is usually what they do prior to shutting them down and arresting everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the organizers between coming out St. Petersburg have fled the country mm-hmm. in Russia. Um, and in other news, the there was a prominent activist in the Ukraine, in, in Kharkiv, um, Ilya uh, Shimur has been killed by missiles uh, in the fighting in Kharkiv. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ilya has been fighting for LGBT rights in uh, Kharkiv and organizing uh, at least three of the, or co-organizing at least three of the Kharkiv prides and women's solidarity marches mm-hmm. um, and was killed by Russian bombing. So I think when we have organizations fleeing from their lives within Russia mm-hmm. and LGBT act- activists being blown up by Russian missiles on one hand, and you've got JK Rowling calling outreach around the murder virtue signaling on the other hand, mm-hmm. to say that's a false equivalency <laughs> is, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a bit much. It's, yeah, it's yeah. like, of all the things that disagree with Vladimir Putin about, like this is this is among the many, among the well, many. It's just on a different scale. Like what what Rowling did uh, is she read one headline when she should have read two, and uh, uh, like the it's really bizarre just what's, what's happening right now in in uh, Eastern Europe. Just the number of things, like the number of defectors who are they just defect because they're like we don't we don't even know what's going on. Like, we, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We just get told what to do. We do it. And then, you know, our commanding officer got killed or whatever. So we just stopped. And it, it's just, it's so baffling. It's so baffling. But, like, it's, everything's just on a completely different scale. It, it's such a bizarre false equivalence. But I should say, actually, there is one thing, uh, one little piece of nuance. And that is that there's something called an etuquoque attack, which is a, a, a uh, an irrational argument. And a tu quoque literally means, and what about you? Mm. So uh, years ago, I remember uh, Xi Jinping, not Xi Jinping, is it Xi Jinping? Yeah, I think it was Xi Jinping uh, critiqued the states for their labor rights. And a whole bunch of American senators were like, you know, I don't think you have the right to say anything. But 
more level-headed people said like you can be incredibly wrong and still point out that somebody else is wrong it doesn't mean you don't have the right to critique them it just means you're both wrong Mm -hmm. like you are also guilty of the thing the other person you're accusing the other person of doesn't automatically cancel out your critique it just means you'd be a hypocrite if you didn't follow it up by saying and i've also got problems of my own yeah all right well one of the last stories that i had handy um and it does relate to the police there was a report issued by the independent office of police conduct in the united kingdom Uh, and this refers to the crimes of stephen port Uh, who I believe killed about uh, four or five people in Britain across the country. Um, The IOPC essentially found that the Metropolitan Police had made assumptions about the lifestyles of the gay men uh, who had been killed and that that inherent homophobia had an impact on the the quality, essentially, of the police investigation. and yeah, this has been a huge issue. We talked about how um, there were so many complaints against the, or so many complaints, uh, so many critiques raised by the independent judge review of the Toronto Police Service investigation of Bruce MacArthur. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't think homophobia was necessarily an element in how the Toronto Police Service had investigated the Bruce MacArthur murders. Yeah, but the fact that they didn't take the gay community seriously at all, pretty much, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. did play a role. And uh, the UK is grappling with the impact of quite a similar case mm-hmm. uh, with Stephen Port. Uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, has uh, since then unveiled a plan to address the Metropolitan Police uh, in order to um, really confront racism and homophobia Mm -hmm. that permeates the the largest policing organization uh, in uh, in the UK. Um, And the first in the world as well. Yeah, the Met, the invented policing. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, they are huge, huge, uh, um, you know, part of it. They're kind of a big deal. Absolutely. Well, we'll keep an eye on how that unfolds. Um, I just, you know, I've been following those two stories concurrently, Bruce MacArthur and Stephen Port. Um, The murders took place around the same time. Mm. And in both cases, the police uh, didn't take as seriously as they should have. Mm-hmm. the input from the community so mm-hmm. something to keep an eye on i believe yeah yeah, yeah. that we do have uh, a little bit of an update on kevin spacey oh god that we've been sitting on this for months it just keeps happening like a, a drip 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 <laughs> of, of news uh-huh. and uh, sometimes we're like oh we'll mention it this week and it's like well it's not really not a lot, not a lot of meat in that sandwich, you know. It's uh, it's a, uh, um, you know, it's just a, a spattering of, of, of leaves. It's not really a leaf sandwich. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not substantial. <laughs> is really what I'm going for here. You know, someone. I'm just going to eat leaf sandwiches from now on. Um, essentially, uh, there was uh, a couple of court cases against Kevin Spacey, who has been accused of uh, sexual misconduct mm-hmm. um, on multiple occasions, and essentially because of the statute of limitations, mm-hmm. uh, because of the requirement to be able to openly address your accusers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of folks have dropped out mm-hmm. from the court cases. A couple of them have just collapsed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is one in particular that is still clinging to life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that Kevin Spacey has argued is um, that was in the 90s. And uh, I've, I haven't done anything like that since. Okay. That is not a, an example of my current behavior. So a New York judge has ruled that uh, in order to make the case that this wasn't just something from way back in the 90s, I think you told me uh-huh. that they're now bringing in witnesses from the House of Cards uh, cast and crew to be able to kind of demonstrate that this is behavior that yeah. is consistent and ongoing with Kevin Spacey. Yes. And not just a flash in the pan from the past. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of that kind of came down to uh, the, the bits that I read, because a lot of this is under wraps and uh, it's not very uh, open because it's, it's an ongoing court case. And of course, the way that ongoing court cases work in the States is uh, there's a camera in your face, as opposed to like, the UK, which is no one in the media is allowed to talk about it whatsoever until it's all finished and Canada kind of splits the difference. But um, the little bits that have come out so far, uh, some of his co-workers have basically said, uh, we're not talking about like a full Weinstein situation here, but there was ongoing uh, behavior between Spacey and, and members of the cast and crew that were let's say impolite and improper and unprofessional, but they were saying that if they found out, because this is more like, you know, witness, not with uh, character testimonies, you know, if they found out that this was ongoing, they wouldn't be surprised. It's that kind of, of uh, statements that they can give. And there are a few people who said that, you know, there were, there were words, there were like inappropriate touches on the, the forearm kind of a situation, you know, hand on the knee kind of thing. I mean, you've got the broad strokes absolutely spot on here, yeah. uh, Sebastian. So the production studio behind the House of Cards, the uh, MRC, um, took uh, Kevin Spacey into court over his breach of the company's anti-sexual harassment policies. That lawsuit uh, included at least eight crew members on the series where... Uh, Kevin Spacey was alleged to have breached this policy against eight different Mm -hmm. crew members. Um, 20 people were deposed as a Mm -hmm. part of that initial lawsuit. Um, And uh, now in this separate lawsuit launched Mm -hmm. by Anthony Rapp, who claims that in an incident in 1983, when Rapp was 14, Mm -hmm. Kevin Spacey at the time, 26, tried to have sex with him whilst intoxicated. So that's the current lawsuit that Kevin Spacey is fighting. And mm-hmm. the judge under the Kevin, uh, the Anthony Rapp lawsuit has said that the depositions from the House of Cards sexual policy lawsuit are fair game to okay. be able to demonstrate a pattern of behavior um, that is ongoing and consistent with the allegations. Um, this is a major blow to Kevin Spacey because, of course, he lost the lawsuit against uh, MRC. It's also kind of tragic that contract law is stronger than regular law. That, like, he signed a contract saying he wouldn't do it, whereas, you know, the fact that there are multiple witnesses that he definitely sexually assaulted people, that's not as strong as him signing a contract saying he wouldn't. Like, that's, that's weird to me. Yeah, well, this is a, an American um, case, uh, and uh, the, none of this is a criminal trial. Mm. Uh, this is a civic lawsuit under the Child Victims Act. Right. Um, Rap is suing Kevin Spacey for sexual assault, sexual battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress. Mm-hmm. Well, 
we will keep an eye on this ongoing saga of Kevin Spacey. Um, you know, Weinstein was was done and dusted, but uh, mm-hmm. this one is really dragging on. However, oh, yes. we have run out of time. We are playing out with a... When I heard this song, I, I was like, I like the vibe here. I like, I like where the song is going. This is Come Back. It is another track by the incredible Annabelle Chostchek. Um, I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. I'll sell off all my gadgets and trade them in for wine. Empty, empty everything. We're running out of time. I'll throw my books into the fire to share its blessed heat. I'll give up all my carbs, just let me have a little meat. I spun into a spiral with a tablet and its news. Sensationalist crap intended to the heart confuse. Eroded by a sickening tale that crushes to despair. The sun still warms the flowers, yet I cannot feel the air. Come back, oh, go want to stray, come back, we'll find a way, come back, come back, Of the perpetrator branded on my brain A vision of his actions Ignitions of its pain Consumption is consuming me I have to turn it off And with it tiny house dreams And the meme-inspiring trough Teetering with teacups Too many on the tray In morning, Mr. Dinosaurs Knock them down for play Pick up the little pieces and add them to the wall Calm now, start unveiling It's time to make the call Come back, come go away Come back, it's best to stay This little life we build I do not want to stray Come back, we'll find a way at fingertips with every feed the brain trips a day is such a loaded thing but chasing it would only bring another